y'all doing well? Hope everybody made it safe. <clears throat> and we uh, got all the kids in here with us today. There's a river downstairs. We were, we were going to have a pool party downstairs. Decided y'all wouldn't like that. Probably not the cleanest water. So uh, we are in the book of Acts. We started last week in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and we are continuing. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 1. Um, I'm sure Jordan alluded or said, but moms and dads with babies in here, um, don't, don't feel nervous about their noise. Um, I'm actually completely immune to the noise. I can shut it out completely. I've learned that a long time ago. Um, but I want you to realize their noises are, are just joyful little noises to us. They're not going to bother us. So don't be uh, nervous about them. Don't feel like you've got to take them and miss what's going on. Um, we all are here. We all know that they're here. It's no big deal. And um, I'm going to be a little more brief anyway, so it's not, it's not that big a deal. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be in Acts chapter 1. Uh, we'll start <clears throat> at verse 12. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, thank you for this time. We pray that you would speak through your word this morning, and that you would, um, as, we, uh, as we see this, I mean, amazingly timely text for us at Remedy Church, um, that we would understand what it's calling us to and as we as we understand lord that we would we trust you would be patient and we would want to do what you want us to do and whatever time frame it would be we thank you for christ we thank you for the gospel we thank you for the good news of jesus we pray this in jesus name amen uh starting at verse 12 let's read it and when we get down to uh verse 18 if you want to put your 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 hands over your kids ears you know, it's kind of gross. All right, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem um, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. It's a, that means really short walk. You can't walk very far on the Sabbath. That's what he's trying to say. They, they walked less than a kilometer. Um, and when they had entered, <clears throat> they, had, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. <coughs> In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons in about 120, and said, Brothers, a scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us, and it was allotted his share in the ministry. Here's the ear-covering part. Now, this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Al-Kedama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and um, let another take his office. So, one of the men... <clears throat> who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. <coughs> and they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, and, also, um, and who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and they said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship 
from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered among the 11 apostles. So what we have here, if you remember from last week, they were given a huge task in verse, in verse 8. In verse 8, Jesus was about to ascend, and as he's about to ascend, he changes what they're, what's going to happen. They all think, finally, it's all over. The kingdom's come. Whoo, all the work's done. He's like, actually, nope, um, all the work's not done. This is actually the beginning point, and we got a whole new thing that you've never even thought of. And he tells them in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And really the rest of the book falls in that outline where the first bit of the book is them being witnesses or telling people about Jesus in Jerusalem. The next bit of the book is them telling, making disciples in Judea and Samaria. And the last bit of the book is them going to the ends of the earth. So they, they do exactly that. Uh, but the interesting thing here is they're told to go do this, and all of us you know, would think, okay, it's time to go. Woo, let's go. And that's not what they do. Instead, they're told to go to Jerusalem and just wait. Because if you try to go do God's work, God's will on your own power, you're going to fail. So you don't need to do that. Instead, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait because the Spirit's power is going to come. And then you're going to be far more successful at going and doing it. So don't try to do the Lord's work on your own power. Instead, do it in the Spirit's power. And that's, that's what this whole thing is being illustrated. Because when you get to Acts 2, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then they're able to go do this massive task that they've been given. But in the meantime, they're told to wait. Likely about 10 days is, is whenever they're told to wait. So they're, they're in Jerusalem. They're waiting. They've been given a task. They're told to wait. And in this waiting period, in the text we just read, we see three things that the Lord tells them you need to do in this particular waiting period before you start the task, before you're going to do. And interestingly enough, I mean, as I'm writing this, this sermon, I'm just like, oh, God, so timely. It's so frustrating. So um, here's... Here's why this task is, is, or this particular text is so timely. Um, we also, we just, we, we, we've just gone over it over the last few weeks ago with our mission, community mission care. We know that this is our mission. We know this is what he wants us to do. We feel like we know that this building is going to be torn down at some particular point. At least this is what's been communicated to us thus far. And we know we want to move to the next building. We, we're trying to get all these things done, but nothing's happening. And there's this waiting period for us. Um, and so, which brings us to where we are. Uh, this past week, we finally started the last parts, if you will, of the negotiation with the owners. Um, and as we're doing the negotiation, we see that what it's worth and what we've offered versus, I can't reach high enough, what they want um, is never going to meet in between. They, they want astronomically more than I think, than what, not just me, the, the finance team wants to do. And so we've realized that we're not going to come into a place where uh, this building, at least right now, is going to be able to be purchased by us because it's just, it's just way too much money. And so we're kind of back to like, we've got this mission. We have a place. We can do the mission. We're the church, except we're still in this waiting period of we know something has to happen. But what do we do when it's time to wait? Because I don't want to wait. I want to do something. And we've kind of, by the sovereign hand of God, been at least put back into this waiting period. So this, this text isn't just for us kind of ho-hum about, oh, they picked the next disciple. Instead, for us, it is instructions for us to do what to do in this waiting period while we're waiting to see what's going to happen next. What, what are we going to do? So this is preparation for the task is the name of the sermon. And it's, it's amazingly how timely it is for what's going on for us. Um, <clears throat> so you see 
In verse 12, they, they said, uh, then they returned to Jerusalem. They were told to go to Jerusalem. That's what the Lord told them to do. And so you have this instant obedience. They say, well, the Lord said it, we're gonna do it. And they go back, a Sabbath day journey. This is, like I said, less than a kilometer or so. It's a 15 minute walk. They're not allowed to walk much more than that. Um, and they're, they're told, you've got to go prepare. Why not just go? Why do we need to prepare? James Boy says, when God's doing things in our lives that we cannot see um, and we're likely unaware, he is usually developing our character. So this period for us of, here's your mission, here's what you need to do. However, you gotta have some, some, some waiting time and I'm gonna do some stuff and before you go is because generally the Lord is building us, causing us to grow in our character teaching us more about him. So what we see in verses 12 through 14 is the first thing that they do in this waiting period. Look at 12 through 14. They went to Jerusalem and when they had entered the upper room, uh, Luke is sure to name 11 of the 12 disciples. No accident there because the 12th one's gonna be uh, installed later. And it says, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer. So the first thing that we have to do in this waiting period, the first thing they do in waiting to start the mission, and I think what we need to do right now in our own church is to devote ourselves to prayer, be constant in prayer. Um, so we've tried to as much as we can throughout all the processes of, of, even with the building, but just in general, we've tried to help, help you see that whenever we say, we really want you to pray, sometimes you just, you just think, as Jack, as, I mean, I've heard Jack say it, Quite, quite eloquently, more eloquent than I, um, in, in corporate prayer and things. Guys, we really, really need for you to pray right now because these things, we don't know how they're gonna happen. We don't even know what to do. Um, and it's not just a trite thing that the pastor says because he knows he's supposed to because, you know, God wants us to pray. Instead, it's, it's just unbelievably true. There, there's no way we're going to in anything, there's no way that any of us are going to fulfill the next stage, whatever the Lord has you to do for us. It's the building right now for you, whatever stage of ministry, for your job, for your life, for your marriage, for your maybe pending marriage. There's no way in all these periods of waiting that you're going to be able to properly do what that next thing is unless you are having this, a constant devotion to prayer. Prayer is not just something that's a good idea for you to do. It's absolutely crucial for us as a church to be constant in prayer, asking the Lord to guide us and direct us and show us what's next. We don't wanna do anything at all. Instead, we wanna do exactly, that's just our, our, our decision. We wanna do exactly what he wants us. As a matter of fact, there's, there's kind of two distinct words that he uses when he's talking about it. And he says, with one accord and devoting, that with one accord is signifying their unity in prayer, that they were all praying together. So, Whenever we say be constant in prayer, we want to be with one accord. So I don't want you to just leave it up to the prayer warriors in the church. I don't want you to just leave it to those that go to the Wednesday night prayer time. I want all of you to be, um, let these words be descriptive of you, that we are literally all with one accord in unity praying together. Please, I, I can't beg you anymore. Please, please always be a part of our prayer time. We need for you to pray about the church and community group, to pray about the church and your, and your devotional life, to come to corporate prayer. Um, every one of you needs to be there. That's how we can fulfill the with one accord. 
but also it says they were devoting themselves. This word can be understood, this devoting as continual or constant or steadfast. This means it wasn't just a one and done, God, you heard me. If I need to ask, I'll ask you again, but I know you're God and you heard it, so I don't have to say it again. That's not it. Instead, it's persistent. It's persistent. So the two descriptors of how we need to be constant in prayer is it's supposed to encompass all of us, not just the choice prayers that you think know how to pray, but literally every one of you with all one voice. We, we cry up to God, help us next, and we do it a lot. We keep doing it. We're persistent, we're continual, and we're steadfast. That's what we're saying. That's what Luke is saying in our, our times of waiting for preparation for the task. We need to be all together praying, all together praying all the time and persistent, persistent in prayer. So that's the first thing. And I want to do this. I know this is a little bit crazier to do with children. I had it planned to do it and I wasn't planning on all the kids, but we're just gonna do it anyway because God's, God's, God's good and we're gonna do it anyway. So what I wanna do then is I wanna do that right now in the service. I want for you to grab a couple people beside you um, and it's okay to bring the little ones in. It doesn't have to be, you know, a 20 minute prayer. It can be 20 second. I understand that. But I want for us all right now in one accord persistent to go to the Lord and say, Lord, um, we as a church want to do your will. We're in this period of waiting and we don't even know what's next, but God, we need you. We need your, your guidance. We need your direction. We need for you to show us. We trust you. We want to do your will. So gather up with one or two people around you. If you see someone sitting by themselves, then that is your absolute invitation to invite them into your group. Um, and then take the next 20 to 30 seconds to a minute to pray. When you hear my voice praying, you can keep praying, but I'm just gonna pray. And when I say amen, we'll move on to point two in the sermon. So ready, set, go. As I pray, you just keep praying. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this amazing gift of prayer that we have. We thank you that whenever we're absolutely out of options, that you're the God of like a billion more options and nothing surprises you. Everything is happening in accordance with your will and you are bending and shaping us uh, to trust you more. And so we come to you now knowing that that's the truth and want, want you to bend and shape us to your will. And we ask God that we would be constant in prayer and that you would bring things about in accordance with your will, that you would make things happen that we can't see 
And that as we get to the end, we'll look back and say it was all God. We thank you that you're good and that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the deal. We've already like done number one. So you can check that off as done this week. I'm just kidding. Remember, it's persistent. So you actually, you've done like one seventh or at least, maybe one 249th of it. So I want you to pray seven times. I'm just kidding. I want you to pray constantly. The way to continually be obedient to number one is be constant in prayer. Think about this often. This is your church family. This is your church body. This is, this is your family. And as much as you would think about your family and pray for your own family, I want you to think about this family and pray for your church family. So be constant in prayer. That's the first thing we do in, in the waiting period or the preparation period. And we are certainly in a preparation period. Verse 15, you have Peter stand up. Remember, Peter's kind of the major player in the first nine or so chapters of Acts. At, at chapter nine, there's a switch where Paul's conversion happens. And Paul kind of becomes the major player in the book of Acts. Um, but... Here, it's still Peter. It says, Peter stood up in the company of brothers. I'm sorry, among the brothers in the company of the persons, about 120 brothers. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among those and allotted his share in the ministry. And you, you can see that he basically, what happened to him and that he has been replaced. But go down to verse 20, because this is what Peter quotes. So remember... It says that Peter says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before him by the mouth of David. And then he's going to tell us, he's going to quote Psalm. Here he's going to quote Psalm 69, 25. And below that, he's going to quote Psalm 109, 8. And he says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp, speaking of Judas, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one else to dwell in it. So we know that that means Judas was the one who betrayed Christ. This is what his, his, his eventuality would be. And so since that's the case, we are, we're down to 11. We need to have a 12th witness. And then it says, as he's quoting Psalm 109.8, let another take his place. Let another take his place. So um, <clears throat> what we see here in the time of waiting is the second directive for us. Number two, what do we do in the preparation time? Like Peter, we do this. We look to the scriptures. We look to the scriptures. First, we pray. Second, we look to the scriptures. Derek Thomas points out something pretty, pretty um, intelligent, pretty, something pretty awesome about this. He says, um, Peter's use of the two Psalms in this brief little address, Psalm 69, Psalm 109, indicates that at least for the past few weeks, Peter had spent in time in deep meditation upon the scriptures and what they taught about Jesus in the future. So because Peter had been thinking about scriptures, had been in the scriptures, had been devoting himself and understanding, trying to this is the situation we're in. As long as I'm constantly in scriptures, devoting myself, thinking deeply, deep, deeply meditating, when something comes up, I can look at the scriptures and understand how I'm supposed to act next. What am I supposed to do? The circumstances and the challenges that had come upon him, he was able to face with certainty because he had devoted himself to study of scripture beforehand and he knew what to do. So same things for us. We need to continually look to the scriptures. Piper says something along this way. He says, the lesson's clear for us that as a church that long to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's what's coming in Acts 2, clothed with power on high. We shouldn't just devote ourselves merely to the upward work of power and blessing, but we also need to give ourselves, he calls it to the backwards work of knowing Jesus in the gospels. In other words, we need to devote ourselves to the scriptures, to knowing Jesus, knowing his will, seeing what the Bible says about circumstances that are happening in our life. And then we can in the preparation time, be more clear-headed about what would be next. 
So the circumstances and all circumstances that challenge us, that come across, especially for us right now in this church, but even in your life, should drive us back to the Bible. They shouldn't drive us to our own thoughts just to do what we think feels right and what we want to do. Instead, they should drive us back to the Bible with a fresh desire then to learn and apply what's happening in our current situation from the scriptures to it. So the second thing is this. We need to look to the scriptures. We need to look to the scriptures. And we could use um, illustration after illustration after illustration of whenever you didn't know what to do, a certain situation came, a theological question, or a time in your life where you just didn't know what was the right choice, what would the Lord want? And then you go to the scriptures and you read and you read and you read and the Lord directs you with this scripture. Um, Over and over and over and over and again in my life, Through prayer and going to the scriptures, the Lord has directed me by his word. This is how he speaks to us, through his word. If you want to hear God speak to your present situation, whatever it is that's going on, Lord, help me in this present situation. He speaks to us through his word. And so we need to look to the scriptures. And here, in this particular scripture, Peter sees we need to replace Judas. We need to replace Judas. Now, I don't know what's going to happen for us, um, but we do need to constantly keep our eyes on the scriptures and ask the Lord to guide and direct our thoughts, guide and direct our choices, teach us how to make good decisions that, that would lead the church well, um, teach us all how to um, navigate whatever circumstances we're in, not just the decision that we need to make, but also the way that we need to conduct ourselves in a Christ-like manner in those decisions. So it's not just God help me make the right decision. It's also God help me be the right Christ-like kind of person around these other people as I'm making this decision. So the second thing in the waiting period is look to the scriptures. <clears throat> um, I know it's April and it's not, it's not January whenever everybody you know, finally decides to read the Bible again. Um, but I would just encourage you, if you find yourself in a real funk and a real time of not reading the scriptures for a long time, I would just encourage you to uh, return to the scriptures, return to a steady reading of them. Even if it's just 10 minutes a day, even if all you can do is listen to it audibly on your drive to work, the Lord will use that. I encourage you to find time in the scriptures every day so that you are fresh in the scriptures and the Lord is speaking to your current situations and you're hearing from him, not just not just praying and hearing from your family, your, your community groups, but you're also hearing straight from the Lord. That's the, first, that's the second thing. First, we pray. Second, we look to the scriptures. Neither one of those should be revolutionary. Neither one of those should be like, well, I never thought of those things. Prayer in the Bible, wow, Fud, amazing. I know, I know. All right, so the, the third thing um, is this. <clears throat> and you're gonna be able to see it. Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And so we've read what's gonna happen here to, to Judas um, and then we get down to the Psalms where it says he needs to be replaced. Let another take his office. And then verse 21, it says, so one of the men um, who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So there's, there's really specific parameters on who can be chosen. Not just anybody can be chosen. It has to literally be somebody just like the, the other 11. All the way back that's from the baptism of John that's been there the entire time. They need for someone to meet a very specific set of parameters. And it says, 
says, there's only a couple people, and they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice. Pick a name, fellow. What's going on? I know you're thinking that. So <laughs> um, his name's Joseph. His Hebrew name is Barsabbas, and his Latin, or his Latin name was Justice. And so Luke, for some reason, the, the, the guy just needs to put all three, but his, his name was Joseph. Um, and then you also have in Matthias. So you've got Joseph and Matthias, and they prayed. Again, returning to prayer, not their, their decision. They prayed, and they said, this is pretty interesting here. And they prayed, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, know the hearts of all, the, the know the hearts of all there in verse 24 is literally you, Jesus, the heart knower. This is literally, you know everyone's heart, you know everyone's thoughts, you know everyone's minds. What is it that we should do? And then it says, since you're the heart knower, Jesus, we're going to ask you, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And then it says in verse 26, they cast lots. Now, um, casting lots should not be done now. This is not a, a descriptive, a prescriptive, I should say, uh, for us. It's descriptive. It's describing what happened. It's not prescriptive in that this is what you should do. We should just, we don't know who to pick. Let's cast lots. Um, that's not at all. This is a one-time, notice they didn't cast lots for elders and deacons, right? And no one can be an apostle because no one's an eyewitness of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So that's only, that's what the word apostle means. So that's why I had these specific parameters. Only these two guys could be the apostle and they cast lots. And the reason why they cast lots is not because they're big gamblers. Instead, it's because they literally want it completely to be in Jesus's hands. We don't want to have any human element here. We want it all to be in yours. So it's not telling us when you need to pick a leader, you should cast lots. Uh, and the reason why is, by the way, Acts 2, what happens? The spirit comes. So now that we have God in us, we don't have to cast lots. We can just, Lord, guide me by your spirit to help me make decisions. But before that, they don't. And so they say, we want it to be absolutely your decision, God. So what do they do? They cast lots. Uh, this is just a one-time occasion. The sovereign hand of God totally chooses who it's going to be. And he chooses, the lot, the, the lot falls onto Matthias and they choose Matthias. So third, third thing you should do in the waiting period is gather the best leaders. Gather the best leaders. So I don't want you to just think um, elders. That's not, that's not, I want you to think more broadly. Um, this means community group leaders, um, in, in general, all the people that have leadership skills in the church. Um, let, let me just say it, maybe this is the best way I can say it. If you have leadership skills, if you have the ability to gather a group of 12 to 15 people and lead them well. Um, and you're in a community group that, uh, that is being led by somebody that also has that amazing gift. And you're just comfortable as you can be because somebody else is leading. I want to say to you, we need for you to step up and lead as well. We need, there's, there's just no way around. We need more community groups. We ha if, we, if we can double our community groups, then think about how, how you felt when you first walked into a community group and you're nervous and you're scared and you didn't feel like you're gonna connect, but finally you did. And you got in there and you're like, okay, this is good. I'm in community. This is what the Lord wants. Feel like that, that kind of crossing the threshold feeling you had. If we have more community groups, then we can have a whole lot more people feeling that feeling of crossing the threshold and getting into a biblical community. The only way that's gonna happen is with by more. If we keep the, the same we have, I think we have six now, and they just keep growing into 20 and 25 and 30, then it's just too big and they can't feel that. The smaller, the better. And so if you have good leadership skills, your community group leader is likely gonna see it. 
We need to continually get you in a position where you can lead. Now, certainly there's, there's things you got to talk to us about. We want to give you the, the, the job description, you know. But we need to, in the waiting period, gather the best leaders. So for those of you who have leadership skills, and you know you do, and you're just comfortable in your group, I'm asking you to please tell your community group leader or me or Jack or somebody so that we can know and we can get you connected with another group leader that's, that's doing great, train, and set you out on, on your group. So that the re, because the more groups we have, then the more opportunities we have people who will come into that nervous, cross that threshold of seeing how awesome biblical community is and connect in. And then we're reaching more people in the city. And more people are getting in community and more people are joining the mission. More people are having community mission care around them. Then they're part of telling people about Jesus. And so we need to do the best that we can to gather more leaders, gather more leaders. So um, there's a couple little side notes here I want to take. Just to, as we're looking at this text, that crossed my mind. Because there were a couple things I really wanted to talk about and then then we'll be done. The first is... uh, when it says Judas, it says Judas turned aside and went to his own place. Another version say to go where he belongs. Um, this is likely saying that Judas did not go to heaven, but went to hell. Um, this, is, this is crazy. This is a crazy concept. I mean, think about this. This man literally, literally walked with Jesus for three years and saw the miracles. Saw everything he did. He knows that the miracles really happened. It's not like he wasn't convinced. He knows that they, they, they happened. So for all of our notions that if we could just finally see it all, or anybody else's notions that we could just see it all and finally be there and really experience it, then we'd truly follow Jesus. I don't think that that's necessarily true. This, this man did that. He, was, he, was, he wasn't just a, a guy that walked along with the 11 disciples this guy was literally a friend of the 11 disciples. They were really friends. Just in the end, he was able to be enticed by money. And so, there are people, and this should break our heart, that can say that. If I could just be around him, then I would finally follow him. It should break our hearts because that's not true. They don't need to see the miracles he was part of the 12, and he didn't believe. And so our goal is to get around as many people as we can that don't know Christ and tell them the preciousness of Christ and ask them to not say, if I could finally just see it all, then I would believe. But instead, look at what Christ has done for us on the cross. Be overwhelmed by the goodness that he, he'd be willing to give his own life for us. So, Here's how I want to take that. The two little ways I want to say it is, number one, for those 11 disciples, I want you to think about being a close, close, close friend with somebody for three straight years, doing what you think is literally changing the world, and at the last closing hours, one of those people stabs you in the back and betrays you. That's what happened. So the first thing I want to talk about is, for you personally, getting past the Judas in your own life. There will be times, remember, they did love Judas. I think they loved Judas. And they were hurt deeply by his actions. People you love are going to hurt you. That's just inevitably going to happen. Um, You might even be deeply betrayed like they were. And what I want to say to you 
And this isn't in some kind of trite, fast, just motion. This is me being as deeply pastoral as I can be. You are going to be hurt by people. That's just part of life. And I want to encourage you, for those of you that are dealing with that in your life, you're you're dealing with possibly some kind of Judas-like thing in your life. God wants you to forgive them. I know that doesn't come easily. I know that you're saying, yeah, that's just sure. I know it's difficult, but I know what God wants you to do. If, especially if they're a Christian, God doesn't want you to hold on to hatred. God doesn't want you to hold on to being wounded your entire life. If they're a Christian, that means Jesus is willing to forgive them and you should be as well. So dealing with the Judas in your life means for those that have hurt you deeply, you need to forgive them. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, and maybe this is just me, but I thought, man, it stinks to be Joseph. Doesn't it? The guy that's not chosen. Like, we're going to choose Matthias. So just, I'll just sit over here. Like, I just felt bad for Joseph. Um, and I thought maybe all of us could fi- feel that way. What, what if we are, we're always the Joseph? What if we're always the Joseph? What if we feel like, well, I should say this, we all have an innate desire to be massively successful. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. I don't think that's necessarily wrong. The motive is the key. I want to be successful, motive, if it's positive, so Jesus gets all the glory, tons of people meet Jesus, and the kingdom's expanded, and the Lord uses me, and I don't waste my life. I think that's good motives. If it's because I want everybody to think I'm awesome, and I need to be successful so that I can kind of fulfill this desire that everybody thinks I'm glorious, then certainly that's wrong. But in the end, we all want to be successful. But what about when we're not chosen? What about when we're not successful? We, maybe we have the right motives and we're just feeling like we're the justice or the, the Joseph. Um, first is, you need to be honest with yourself and examine your heart. When you're the Joseph and you don't get successful and you're deeply upset, you need to be honest with yourself and ask why. Why am I upset here? Is it because I wanted glory or is it just because, man, I really wanted this opportunity to be used by God and I wasn't. What happens whenever we have chances to be, you know, the next whatever you call it and and, and level in ministry and we don't get to use it? Feeling like you're always the the Joseph and never chosen. Um, What happens whenever it seems like it's the other person that always seems to catch the break at work, gets the, the, the next job at work, always gets picked over you? Our first impulse for those people should be joy and happiness for them, not jealousy. I know that's tough, but that should be our desire. When someone else gets chosen over us for something, instead of being upset at them, we should be happy for them. We shouldn't let our our, uh, desires to have that position instead of them take over where we're just mad. In, In church planting, I feel this struggle the entire time. Church planting pastor, I mean, I I constantly struggle with this. When you talk to other church planters that are the same age as you and they already have a building or you talk to another church planter and they're like double your size and they have like triple time your budget and they have all this. I mean, it's real. And I'm I'm saying this as a, like, this is something I really even continually will struggle with, I think, forever. Um, Just as a way to say, if you're struggling with that, I struggle with it as well. Maybe at a different kind of job, if you will. But we all will struggle with this Wanting to be Joseph, or wanting to be Matthias, but always seemingly being Joseph, maybe. Um, and I would say a couple things. Number one, strive to be happy for others, 
and not jealous. And number two, be consistently um, obedient to the Lord in the position that he does put you in. Be consistently obedient to the Lord there. And don't worry about uh, having the quote-unquote success in the world. Instead, um, be motivated to serve the Lord well, work hard. Don't quit, but wherever you are, whatever lot you're given, whatever job the Lord has given you, just do that job well. And the Lord will take care of the results. You you don't know in the end um, the kingdom impact that you're having a lot of times. You just don't know. The Lord could be using you and you never get to see it and in heaven you'll find out. So as we're looking at this particular text, there's three things that the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to be constant in prayer. He wants us to look to the scriptures and he wants to make sure we put the best leaders around us. Um, Derek Thomas says, in these quiet days, the disciples prayed and studied scripture, developed bonds of unity and love that would shortly be tested as the ravages of persecution and poverty struck the fledgling church in Jerusalem. So as they started the task, it wasn't like, okay, we prepared, we're starting the task now, whoo, everything's going to be awesome. That's not how it works. As they start the task, that's when the real battles came. It became very difficult for them. As it says, they had ravages of persecution, poverty struck, and the fledgling church tried to begin in Jerusalem. Likely, that's what it's going to be for all of us in ministry. It's just going to be difficult. And so we can't overstep or just try to act like this preparation time isn't necessary. Or else, whenever the persecution comes, whenever we're struck with difficulties, we will fold like a poolside chair and quit. So in these times of preparation, let's do the real work of preparation. This week in your groups, let's be constant in prayer. This week in your devotional life, let's be constant in prayer. In your own personal study, find yourself constantly going back to the scriptures. And for those of you that have leadership skills, please step up and use them. We, we absolutely need you to step in and be a great leader for the church. We're going to go into a time of response here. And perhaps one of these three things has spoken to you. One of these three things from the scriptures, God has said, this is where you need to be more, more obedient. You need to pray more. I, I, I hear from you when you get food at the Chick-fil-A, but other than that, you know, that's it. Um, or wherever you go. So he's saying, talk to me more than just, you know, 30 seconds over your chicken sandwich. I want you to talk to me. I want you to pray to me. I want you to let me be your God. Let me be your father in heaven. Or maybe he's saying, you don't read the scriptures like you used to. Back whenever, fill in the blank, five years ago, 10 years ago, when you're a college student, whenever you're in your 20s, when you first had a child, whatever. Used to be in the word, but now, maybe he's saying that to you now. Be in the scriptures more. And for some, some of you, he's saying, you know you have leadership skills and you can be used and you haven't stepped up yet. Maybe you've had a... a period of time where you couldn't it was too difficult your stage in life was was troublesome and it's now come to a time where you can and i'm just saying be the body use your skills use your gifts for our church so in this time of response spend that time in prayer confess and let's stand and give god the glory as we sing as we sing together let's pray jesus thank you for your word i pray lord that as we sing as we worship Lord, that you would come now, inhabit the praises of your people. 
and all the places where we know that we need to be more obedient in this time of waiting, that you would be our God, you would be sovereign over us, that you would care for us, that you would comfort us. And Lord, that we would see amazing things happen in this time of preparation as we move into the next stage of this church. We pray this in Jesus' name.